Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic calling Lindsay Pollock. Lindsay Pollock is an expert on today's multi-generational workplace and frequently advises both young professionals looking to succeed in today's work environment and the organizations that want to recruit, retain, and engage them. She is the author of several books. In this episode, we primarily discussed her first book, Getting from College to Career, but we also talked about her newest book, Recalculating which tackles how to navigate the workplace amidst the turbulent world we live in. We spoke about the impact getting from college to career continues to have, how global events over the past year are impacting job seekers, and one of Lindsay's most recommended resources that actually helped me get the job I have today. So we are joined today by Lindsay Pollack. Uh, She's the author of several books. Today we'll be talking primarily about getting from college to career. Um, but we'll also touch a little bit on her newest book, Recalculating. Lindsay, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We're happy to have you here. Um, so Getting from College to Career, first published 2007. Uh, there was a revised edition five years later. And this book we've seen has been a consistent seller over the years. Um, do you hear from readers often about their responses to it? I do. And it's my favorite thing ever because this book was my first baby and uh, has a very special place for me. And my favorite thing is a lot of people show me their copy with post-it notes all over it and underlines and highlighters. (laughs) And I love that because I really meant it to be kind of a workbook um, and to be really actionable. So I'm always thrilled to hear from people who say that it helped them. It definitely is. I think the the way the tips are laid out in that, you know, both you can see in the table of contents, they're, you know, they're very clearly laid out and the tips, the, not the tips, the action items at the end of each tip, I think make it very much like a workbook in that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really wrote the book that I wish I had had when I was getting from college to career. Mm -hmm. And I know it always frustrated me when people gave me advice, like, go for it, keep up the good work that was completely nice, but totally unactionable. So I was really, really um, set on making actionable advice that people could do on a regular basis. Um, It was funny in the first edition, it said 90 things to do before you join the real world. And they updated it for the second because they said 90 was too intimidating for people. But I really (laughs) tried to give as many tips as possible um, to get people to take action on their job search. That's great. Yeah, no, it, it seems like a lot, but if you take them one at a time, it's very manageable. Exactly. Um, And speaking of action, most of these tips in this book, um, and even you talk about this in Recalculating too, this idea that most of it ultimately comes down to students and job seekers putting themselves out there, taking chances, taking action, really doing. Can, Can you speak to that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the new book, Recalculating, I wrote during the early months of covid And my goal with that book was similar. It was, you know, how are people getting through this? What's actually working? And I was really struck um, with recalculating and it reminded me of getting from college to career that people would say, well, I think I might want to change careers or this seems like a good time to, you know, change my path or look for something new. And I would then follow up with the obvious question, what are you doing about it? 
And the answer was often, well, I haven't really taken any action yet. <laughs> and I think that we get paralyzed. COVID, it was paralyzing force, of course. And I think college graduation for a lot of students is a paralyzing force. It feels like this really daunting life change, which it is. But the only way to make anything happen is to put one, one foot in front of the other to get out of your head and get onto your to-do list. And by the way, I made that mistake myself. I mean, the opening story of getting from college to career is me under the covers in my childhood bedroom, freaking out because I couldn't figure out what to do with my life. And all you have to do is make the first step. And I think once people do that, they get momentum. And that's also the idea of, of checklists and checkboxes um, in both books, which is once you start to take action, you sort of are able to move forward. But that first step is often the hardest. I think um, if we're talking about early mistakes we made, um, one of my big mistakes in college was um, getting to my senior year and then realizing, oh, I have I haven't thought about my career at all. Oops. And I <laughs> went to the career services office and basically spent two weeks in there panicking, like, ah, what do I do? Um, and that's one thing you really talk about in getting from college to career, the importance of the career services office. Um, so for students who are, whether they're just about to go into college or they're in their senior year, what advice would you give them for taking advantage of their career services office? Or I guess even alumni well, too. You were ahead of me because I didn't even go to my college <laughs> career office, which is ironic that I do this for a living now. So you were you were ahead of the game. Yeah, I think it is one of the most underutilized resources in America, possibly, because if you've gone to college, if you're in college, you have this office that is designed to help you get a job. That's their role. That's their function. And so many students never take advantage of it. And a lot of people don't realize that even once you've graduated, even if it was 25 years ago, you can go back and almost always for free at almost every college it's free, access the career coaching and the resume review and the mock interviewing and all these other services. And it's right there for you. And the other thing is the people who work in the career center are experts on how people from your college or university get jobs. Often they have people who specialize in finance or engineering or hospitality or whatever specific areas your school might've fed a lot of people into. So. You know, I think it's probably the most important step if you haven't taken it is to make sure to establish that relationship and take advantage of that free resource. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about action items, um, if a student's going to the career office, what would you what would you recommend they do? Do they just walk in and cry, help, I need a job? Or should they go in with a plan of attack with something specific to ask? What would you what would you recommend for that? I think it depends on where you are in the process, but it is more common than not, according to my career services friends, that people walk in and say, help, I have no idea what I'm doing. And that's Guilty. their job. Yeah, but they know that, right? And that's what I love too, is that's what they do. Um, and they specialize in that. I, I am sort of shocked I didn't become a career services professional. I think if I had known that was a thing, I absolutely would have pursued that career because that's what I like to do is talk about this stuff. So Number one, it can be just a coaching session, which is where do I start? What do I do? I don't know what I want. And they have a lot of suggestions and guidance on starting. If you have a resume or you've applied for some jobs and you're not getting traction, they can do a resume review or help you with your cover letters. They can make connections between you and alumni who you might be able to network with, which is always easier than reaching out yourself. So there are a lot of different ways that they can help, LinkedIn profile reviews as well. And they often host a lot of educational panels and workshops where you can just kind of take in 
what's available. And a lot of those, of course, today are online or on video. So use this incredible resource. Even they'll take uh, photographs for your LinkedIn profile, or if you don't have a suit or if you can't afford a suit, they'll provide, they have a lot of um, clothing libraries where they can lend you, you know, outfits to wear. If you need a quiet place to do a Zoom interview on campus because your dorm room or your apartment is not appropriate, they can do that for you. So really go in and tell them, here's where I'm struggling. And it is absolutely their expertise to help you at, at any phase. Mm-hmm. Actually, you saying that just sort of made me think of this. Um, when I went to the career services office, as a bit of inspiration for any students who might be listening, um, they were sponsoring a trip to Penguin Random House to learn about careers in publishing, which landed me my first internship, which got me to where Voila. I am now. So <laughs> it definitely helps. Um, but I want to go back and talk a little bit about um, recalculating and how the world changed in 2020. So we talked about the pandemic, but you also mentioned in the book that it wasn't just the pandemic. There were all these other things that were changing. I think you said they were, you talked in the intro about how there were four sort of disruptors, which is the most that there's been on any year in record. Can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So 2020 had, and I'm not the one to say this, this was the work of uh, Bruce Bellman, who's a futurist, that mm-hmm. um, 2020 had four of what are considered disruptors. One was a very consequential presidential election. Uh, one was um, social unrest, of course, related to the murder of George Floyd. We had the pandemic and at the moment, uh, oh, and the economic uh, downturn because of the pandemic. So four uh, recession, four super disruptors. And there was something like only three years in history had ever even had three all in the same year. So you have this extraordinary confluence of really challenging things, each one on their own would have been challenging for a job seeker or a professional or anybody to deal with. But the combination was really paralyzing. And you know, it's so interesting having written four books with HarperCollins and going on tour and doing events, I tend to get really tactical questions, right? Like, what should I put on my resume? You know, what do I say when I'm networking? And I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I was researching and writing this book, the number one question I got was, how do I motivate to do this? How do I move forward when the news is so upsetting? And that was really different. And this is the first book where I wrote an entire chapter, chapter one, about mindset. And how do you get in the mindset of moving forward when you don't want to, or when it's really daunting, or you're really upset about something you've seen in the news? And you know, to your point about it wasn't just the pandemic, this is also in the context of accelerants like technology, right? Climate change, um, automation people moving to gig economy and freelancing jobs. So all of this was happening as well. And I think if it hadn't been for the pandemic, we'd be talking about those elements of the job search. But this moved things forward so incredibly quickly that you know nobody had time to think about, do I want a job that's fully remote? Do I want a job that's hybrid? You know, We just thought we had more time to deal mm-hmm. with these kinds of issues. Recruiters said, you know, I knew that maybe in some distant future, I would be doing the bulk of my recruiting through video, but I didn't think it would be today. And suddenly I had to pivot to that. So we had to learn to do a lot of the, these things very quickly. But my argument is we kind of knew they were coming. So we sort of kind of knew we were going to eventually have to get good at things like online communication, but we were putting it off. And so the people who saw that and adapted quickly, I think were able to pivot quite well. And the people who said, no, no, it's going to go back to the old way, I think have been struggling. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, So there has been this shift to virtual. Um, As far as you've seen, has this changed um, 
the job seeking process, the networking process, um, because a lot of what you talk about in the book is in getting from college to career is, you know, going out there, making these physical appearances, but now things have shifted. So how would your advice change as far as that? It's actually surprising how much doesn't change, mm-hmm. right? So you and I are having a conversation that we could easily have had in your office. We are bonding. We're talking about our stories. You know, we're chit-chatting. We're just doing it in a different medium. So a lot of the basics are the same. For instance, you know, resume writing and LinkedIn profile writing, there are a lot of similarities of using keywords and action words and, and so forth. So I think a lot stays the same. What's different is I think you have to decide to get good at the virtual communication. You have to decide, I'm going to curate my Zoom background. I'm going to learn how to look into the camera and not be looking down. I am going to um, understand that I need to get really good at writing requests to people on LinkedIn because I'm not going to be able to go to a conference and walk up to them and build rapport that way. So I think it's the same ideas of connecting, asking for help, talking to people you have a connection to, um, making a bond with a recruiter and selling yourself, but you now have to do it in a slightly different way. And just as, you know, I'm thinking of the old examples of like the radio announcers who stood on television reading at a microphone as if they were on radio and they sort of didn't understand the new medium of television, you have to be a little bit adaptable. But the concepts of selling yourself, building your professional brand, explaining why you're a good fit for an employer, trying to find a connection inside a company so that you can and um, get a foot in the door, you know, without being generic, those things don't change. You just have to be a little bit better at doing them in a virtual environment. That comes easier to some people than others, but it is a conscious choice to learn to get good at communicating in this new way. Mm-hmm. One of the big changes that virtual has brought, besides obviously the change in format, has been the workplace feels a little more relaxed. You know, you have people in their Zoom meetings with kids running in the background, dogs barking, you know, all that. You have your plants in the background. Um, and it, it feels like things have kind of relaxed in a way in the workplace. Would you say that um, the rules have relaxed or changed at all as far as job seeking? Depends on the industry. Okay. So I would say for the most part, yes. Often you can dress a little bit more casually. If you're doing a Zoom interview, you don't have to be in a three-piece suit. But you know what? For a lot of law firms and banks, I'd still put on the suit. And I think what's different is the variety of different kinds or different levels of casualness to formal. So it used to be, I mean, I remember in the 90s, you wore pantyhose to a job interview. Now you don't have to do that, right? It was just, you wear a suit and you wear pantyhose um, if you're if you're female. So I just knew that any industry had to do that. That is certainly not the case anymore. So I think what's important is not to make assumptions. Oh, well, I'm home so I can wear a t-shirt. Just ask, just ask the recruiter what's appropriate to wear to this job interview. They'll be happy to tell you, right? What's appropriate? to uh, what's an appropriate background that I should have. Now you wanna be as professional as possible no matter what, but I've had a lot of recruiters say they absolutely understand, particularly if you're a student uh, from a lower socioeconomic background that you might not be able to have a nice, quiet, pristine background. And that's okay. All you have to do is say, I'm sorry, I'm not able to have a quiet background today given my living situation. I hope you don't mind. You just have to call it out and let them know and they will always understand. Um, So do the best you can and just ask what the rules are. What has not changed are rules like write a thank you note after the job interview. You'll do it by email now, 
rather than handwriting. And by the way, that was a change from the 2007 edition of Getting From College to Rear to the 2012, was I'd said handwritten thank you notes in 2007. <laughs> and by 2012, it was like email thank you notes, um, especially when people aren't getting mail at their office. But the rules of etiquette, of gratitude, of being polite, of being prepared, of writing a thank you note, none of that changes. But a lot of companies will say, you're going to be in your bedroom. It's okay if you don't want to wear a tie. Mm-hmm. And another big change from the most recent edition of getting from college to career to now has been um, the audience that you're talking to. So in the book, you talk about you know, Gen Y, millennials as sort of the demographic here. Um, but now we're seeing Gen Z enter the workforce. Um, so in your work, have you seen any difference in Gen Z and how they approach things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are quite a few differences, and you're making me think we need a new a new revision of getting from college to career uh, for, for Gen Z. Um, there are a few, and I don't think that they're as different as it was from Gen X and baby boomers to millennial. I think that was a really big shift because of the move to digital and mm-hmm. the rise of social media and how big a role that that played in the lives of millennials, in the job hunts of millennials, and certainly in um, sites like LinkedIn and how recruiters were using them. What I think we're seeing with Gen Z as different from millennials is an enormous focus on purpose and well-being. And so I think job seekers um, would want more content on how to find a company that shares your values, on how to talk about your perhaps well-being needs in a job interview. Um, Certainly flexibility is not something that would have been written about for an entry-level job when I was job hunting in the 90s. Now, I think that would absolutely be an important topic. I think there are also more tools that Gen Zs can use. You've probably seen recent articles about TikTok resumes, right? And using um, Instagram in the job hunt. That would have been kind of novel and weird, I think, for millennials. And now, because of how much the world has changed, Goldman Sachs is recruiting on Snapchat. You know, that's sort of astonishing. And I think even for millennials, that's astonishing. But for Gen Z, I think companies have probably evolved more in their comfort with technology and social media and their usage of some of those sites. So I think the mission and uh, well-being And then the real rise of social media being a very serious tool for recruiting would probably be the biggest changes I've seen with Gen Z. Is there any different advice you would give them that maybe you wouldn't have necessarily given to millennials? Any pitfalls that you've seen Gen Z kind of fall into? I think the pitfalls tend to be the same, which Mm -hmm. is looking for the one, you know, this dream job that's going to be absolutely perfect. I think that that is probably life stage more than anything else, which is thinking that a first job is going to be absolutely ideal. Um, I do think that there's a lot less stigma and it's gotten less and less every year of taking a job for a short period of time. So I think I would have advised millennials and certainly my generation, Gen X, to try to stay in a job, you know, one to two years, which is still ideal. But I think very short term contract roles or, you know, three month assignments or freelancing or micro internships. I think all of that is really valuable for Gen Zs as things move faster and there's less stigma for having a bunch of roles on your resume as an early age. So I think the the universe of lengths of opportunity is probably something that I would talk to about Gen Z. I think it's also much more common now to have a side gig and to be doing something in addition to your full-time job hunt. So having an Etsy store or selling your clothes on Poshmark or driving for Uber or running errands or doing stuff on TaskRabbit. I think a lot of that is more common and can provide a lot of value. And I don't think those were even on my radar uh, when it was uh, millennials who I was writing for. Mm. 
Um, so I know we mentioned earlier, oh, we should have another edition of Getting From College to Career. Um, if you were doing another edition right now, is there anything else that you would want to add to it? Definitely more on social media. I was heavily focused on LinkedIn in mm -hmm. the uh, earlier editions of Getting From College to Career, which I still would focus on. But I think for college students, I would talk about TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and other ways to use social media. I would definitely talk about those uh, shorter term uh, goals and opportunities. And I think I would also talk about priorities. Um, millennials had or were sort of famous for having this absurd burden of student loan debt. And there are a lot of Gen Zs, I think, who have avoided that trap, um, you know, and really thought about the ROI of college and finding different ways to get their education. So I think I would probably write more for Gen Zs about students who hadn't attended a four-year college, maybe went to community college, got an associate's degree, um, those who um, have gotten certifications as opposed to bachelor's degrees. So I think they the opportunities, you know, getting from college to career, I might expand that for Gen Z's, that it's mm. really about just launching your career, whatever your background was, because I think there's a lot more willingness on the part of employers to hire people who didn't go to college. Um, and I think that wasn't the case in 2007 or 2012. Mm, definitely. Um, so Lindsay, one more question I have for you. And this is a question we like to ask all of our guests on the podcast, since we are primarily geared towards teachers and their students. Who was your favorite teacher? Oh, I just got the chills thinking about <laughs> all of uh, my favorite teachers. So can I can I give two? Is that yeah. allowed? Okay. Go ahead. Um, I'm glad that you asked that because I was on a podcast once and they said, if you had a theme song, what would it be? And I was like, you should have warned me. That's a really hard question. <laughs> um, okay, so fourth grade, the reason I wanted to be a teacher, and I kind of consider myself a corporate teacher, um, Ms. Omark who was my fourth grade teacher, who absolutely made teaching seem to be the most glamorous, exciting, glorious profession. And I absolutely worshiped her. And she just loved teaching and she loved her students and made me absolutely love school. Um, and then in high school, Mrs. Dobrel, who was my French teacher, who really pushed us to be more knowledgeable about current events, which you wouldn't necessarily think about a French teacher. Um, but we used to play this guessing game in French and she would always pick people from current events and the modern news. And I remember at the beginning of the semester thinking like, what is she talking about? And then realizing she wasn't just teaching us French. She wanted us to be citizens and she wanted us to be interested in the world around us. Um, and I just always, always respected her and loved her for that. I should also point out that both of my parents are teachers, so I should probably have oh. said them first. Um, <laughs> my dad was an English teacher um, and my mom was an art teacher. So I am the children of teachers and um, just so grateful for the incredible work, especially over the past 18 months. Um, I have a 10 year old daughter in public school and um, teachers have been the heroes of this very difficult situation for kids. So thank you for the work that you do. Well, that's amazing. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for a wonderful conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you got your job because you went on a trip at the Career Center. That's like, I, awesome. you know, I and I didn't even think about that until you were saying that. I was like, oh, wait, actually, I have a story. <laughs> I'm like, what was I thinking not going? Like what? I It just, I don't know, I got, I got to that point where I was like, wait a minute, I haven't thought about a job <laughs> at all. Like, ah. It's so common. It's so common. Oh. And they know it too. You know, often they have like one career person for like 10,000 students. So it's not always easy, but I love your story. Yeah. Well, thank you. All right. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Michael. Okay. I enjoyed it. Right. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.